Hey Northridge, welcome to A Little Better, where our goal is to know God better and to do better so that we can be a little better. and welcome back to A Little Better. We are glad that you are with us, whether you're watching or listening. Thank you for jumping in. My name is Aaron Hickson. I'm our Henrietta campus pastor, and we're excited to have another week. I want to start off, though, and before I get to any details about what's going on, say I am so sorry about the delay of the release of this episode. We had a technical difficulty. Drew and I, Drew's back on the podcast, so we'll, we'll get to him in just a second, but we recorded this thing on Tuesday of this week. Labor Day was Monday. We recorded it on Tuesday and had horrible glitching issues with our internet. So it was actually basically unusable. So we're trying again. We're going to re-record. Hopefully things go a little better and our interwebs cooperate this time. So sorry about the delay. Uh, That's the first housekeeping thing. But then the second thing is later this week, we're going to be releasing a bonus episode of A Little Better. So while we were late for you this with this episode, we will have a whole nother one for you. And that's actually going to be all dedicated to our campus closure of Greece and Henrietta. Um, it'll be with me, uh, Mark Nelson, and with Drew just chatting through as campus pastors. What does this mean? What do we think about this decision? Are we doing okay? What's the future? Drew gives us a little more, you know, detail there. Um, and, you know, you just get to hear, hopefully, uh, Mark and I process things a little bit. So for the, for the, especially our Greece and Henrietta family, we hope that'll be helpful to hear from, hear from us. So that'll be a bonus episode later this week. But for now, let's talk about Labor Day. Drew, thanks for jumping back on the podcast one week early. It's good to be here. <laughs> so, yeah, let's talk about the fact that this weekend did not go as planned. I, why don't you walk us through starting with Wednesday of last week. So I guess a week ago today from when we're recording um, is when we first started getting kind of very initial texts on that, that morning about Daniel Prude and uh, everything that was happening um, in our city um, and what we knew was going to be brewing controversy from that time up through Sunday. Why don't you walk us through kind of what happened there? and said, Hey, this is about ready to be released. I want you to know ahead of time. And so I saw the news and I was like, Oh man, wow, this is devastating. I watched the video. I was just sickened by it. And so, you know, I I began this process of thinking, okay, how are we going to respond? What are we going to say? Are we going to say anything? What are we, you know? And so, you know, I kind of, when I don't know what to do, I usually stop and pray and, and I wait for God to answer. Um, and sometimes you don't have a lot of time. I didn't have a ton of time. And so Thursday rolls around and man, I just can't shake this idea of like, Hey, I feel like God wants me to stand up and say something. And so Daniel, our, our new executive director of kids men, um, was scheduled to preach. I was supposed to be out of town. It was like my last kind of summer moment to, before I go back to preaching like every week. And so, but I was just like, I got to do this. So I called Daniel. I was like, Hey Daniel, I'm going to, I'm going to preach. Sorry, sorry, man. I love you. Don't hate me forever, but I got to, <laughs> I got to do this. And so Friday and Saturday, I was like, babe, I'm sorry. I gotta, I gotta write a sermon. And I was just kind of like, okay, God, I'm going to get me out of the equation and I need you to, I need, if you want me to do this, you got to deliver the goods. And so he did, it it actually came together faster than I thought it was going to. And I just Sunday got up with all the confidence in the world because I felt like God had, I went on a mountain with God and prayed and he gave me what I needed. And I stepped up and I said, all right, let's do this. 
Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. There's, I'm sure there's a lot to each of those stories. And I want to ask you about the writing process itself as somebody who, you know, we get to interact with that sermon writing process. I'd love to know more about that, but I want to pause and especially you already mentioned Daniel white, but I want to especially shout him out again, because as you said, he was scheduled to preach, which it was his first time preaching at Northridge. And when it's your first time preaching at Northridge, you actually have to do two pre-preaches. So starting like six weeks ago, he wrote and delivered this message to a group of people, got feedback and then did it again by the way, like seven days ago, his wife had a baby, which means his family, both sets of parents are in town. They're going to see the baby and then they're going to get to see Daniel preach. And he just took this whole thing like a champ and was able to step out of the way and uh, let you do your thing. And so I just want to say, man, Daniel, that is incredible flexibility. He has done nothing but show flexibility since he got here. He moved here in like, what was it? March or April, like right as COVID began he started his new position. So, I mean, he's done nothing but flex. He, he deserves all the credit in the world for, for that. Yeah. Um, so anyway, talk, talk to us about that writing process. Um, normally you, we are pretty planned ahead, you know, writing in advance and working on things as a team. Um, how did this message come together? What did you really feel like you wanted to, to communicate or God laid on your heart? Yeah. Well, the first process was, man, just asking God for his help. Um, and two, removing my opinions. Um, and that's hard to do. Like I feel strongly about certain things and, you know, it's not my church, it's God's church. And so I was just like, God, I want to share your message with your church. And I just felt like this, this word of unity, uh, just ringing in my ear, like bring people together. You know, I don't think we're going to solve anything until we decide to come together. And I was like, what was ringing in my ear and, and God just continued to like, just pour out and use my wife. My wife came and was like, I listened to a podcast and here's some things they said. And it just, it really just came together in my heart and my head. This is one of the messages that I was like, you know, first it's writing the content down and then it's figuring out how you communicate it. And does it sound good? Does it make sense? Does it flow organizationally? Man, I got it down on paper and I felt like I was ready to communicate it before I even you know, communicate it. It was just really just God just overflowed his spirit and it moved in my heart. And it was like, man, I feel like this is exactly what I, what our church needs and our community needs. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, your, your emphasis on unity, recognizing that what we see in our world right now is a ton of division, but it's not just out there. It's in here too. And I appreciated your rawness in that, um, and the boldness to choose to, you know, change a plan and mix things up and, um, uh, react to a situation. Um, obviously this is a national news. Our president is tweeting about this right now. Like, um, even since Sunday, Laurent Singletary has retired and most of the command staff there with RPD, like this is a huge moment. And I, I love that your message was related to unity because of course the division is real. And if we're going to be effective as a church, you even said when our nation is divided, it needs our church to be united. Um, but I want to recognize that unity is not easy to come by. And I don't think that we're like on the doorstep of it yet as a church, right? There's a lot of ground to still be covered. So talk to me about like, how does unity without uniformity even happen? Um, I know that's what kind of the whole message was about, but like, there's a lot of diversity inside of our church, not just, you know, racially, but in terms of philosophy and worldview, um, you know, people down at the protest, people working the protest as police officers, you know, so how do we, with that difference, um, how do we operate? 
Yeah, I think it starts with knowing what's what you're willing to bend on and what you're not willing to bend on. So like, I think scripture makes some of those very clear, like, hey, there's certain things that we got to call wrong are always wrong and certain things that are always right, you know, and so we have to learn what as Christians are we willing to bend, you know, because, you know, there's multiple perspectives in this conversation and learning, hey, I can, I don't have to stand here. I can actually move to make this come for us to come together to find solutions, common ground from whatever side you're coming from. And so, I, you know, that's why I said Sunday, I was like, this isn't like a recipe that you just put together, you mix up and you bake the cookies and like, oh, and an hour later, we're unified. Unity is something we're going to have to fight for every day, every year, because it's so easy to be divided because we, we, we aren't uniformed. We shouldn't be uniformed. God doesn't want us to be uniformed in the way we think. He made us all different. But learning what to bend on and how you can love somebody and lament and listen and come together. And I think my challenge for our church after this message, because I, I, I'm well aware I don't care if that was the best message I'll ever preach again. It's not going to change. It's going to, it's going to give the information needed so people can make a responsible decision. And my, my appeal to the church is unity, but it was like, Hey, if you listen to that message and you're like, wow, that was good. Or, or we needed that. Okay. That's not enough. Mm. That is not enough. What will bring us unity is if you look at those four steps and say, which one do I need to work on the most? Okay. Do I need to listen more and understand? Do I need to mourn and grieve and feel the pain that's out there? Do I need to love better like Jesus loved? Or do I need to focus on they're not my enemy, the the devil, or, or my sin is the enemy? Like take one of those and say, you know, in the next two months, six months, year, I'm gonna grind on this one and I'm gonna be better. I'm gonna be a better disciple of Jesus Christ because I took this and my step towards unity is working on that. Yeah. Yeah. That's important. Cause I do think it can be easy to say like, rah, rah, we have done the thing. We, we changed one weekend plan and we gave a sermon and it kind of, you know, talked about racism and unity and now it's done. We solved it. And it's like, no, you know, nobody's naive enough to think that that's what this is. Um, and I, I love what you're saying. Like we have go no, go, go, go ahead. I was just gonna say, even, even myself, I, you know, I have that frustration. I'm like, okay, I, I preach that message. No one has tried to kill me yet. That's okay. But like, it's hard to know where do we go from here? You know, like, mm. okay, how do we as an, like an organization, a church with thousands of people continue this conversation? And I don't mean preach on it every week. I mean, just like, how can we create maybe like listening groups or how can we motivate people to continue in the process of unity rather than just, Hey, we did that Sunday. What's happening next Sunday? And learning to navigate that. And I know one thing we talked about even today, Aaron, at our, our senior leadership team was, hey, why don't we start with prayer and having like a, an event of prayer that our church can rally around and pray for, you know, justice, that can pray for the black and brown community, that can play, pray for our police officers or whatever that looks like. Let's, let's, you, prayer is one of the most unifying forces, I think. Like when you pray, it, it brings people together and you realize, man, I, I this is a God thing. This is not a me thing. And so mm. we're, we're still trying to navigate what does this look like as we move forward, as we take steps towards unity. Yeah. And I love that you're talking about this as something of a launch pad or a starting place or a, you know, a turning point or whatever. It's 
all this represents is an indication of the fact that we have work to do, not that we did the thing, you know? So I think that's really important. And I, I guess I want to say two things to that, like, I want to commend your boldness as a leader. Like that takes a lot of courage to step out and change a plan and, you know, change your vacation and all that kind of stuff. I appreciate it. And I'm grateful for that. And then also, so I, I want to say thank you, but I also want to say thank you that you're not seeing it as like, you know, few, we did it. It's accomplished because by not giving up at this point, what you're indicating to our church is like, yes, we made a really good step, but we're not done. So I, I both want to celebrate that we did it, but not, not give up on the progress that we hope to make. Um, because I, this is an issue of discipleship, right? Like people have a part of their worldview that we all need to shape and mold and make sure that it comes into conformity with Christ. And there's, there's things that we want to figure out. Like you said, we have to figure out which hills we want to die on. And I think that's so important. Um, and to me, that's what conviction is. It's saying, man, what is right and what is wrong is the hills I'm going to die on. I have conviction. I have God's word to point to the fact that there are things that absolutely are wrong. Like God hates death. He doesn't, he doesn't want death. He came to destroy death. And we as a society want to promote human flourishing. And so like, I'm not going to bend on that. I want to see human flourishing at every stage of development in, in humans. But, and how do we get to human flourishing? That's where I need to begin to demonstrate humility. I don't want to be humble about whether or not human lives matter. You know what I mean? Whether those lives are white or black or otherwise. And obviously we're focused on the black and brown community right now. And we know that their life matters. And so we want to be focused on that. But what, how do we accomplish communicating and signifying that black lives matter or that everyone's life matters. You know, how do we get to a place of signifying that? Well, that's where my humility needs to come in where I have conviction on my what's right and wrong, but I have humility about methods because man, we, no one group has the corner on the right way to go about ensuring human flourishing in a way that pleases God. Right. And I think that's where like we have to drop our pride. Like one area I've seen pride is like, over the statement, black lives matter. It's like, no, all lives matter. Well, like, okay, yeah, that's right. But like your pride is getting in the way of seeing some hurt and pain that is there and just acknowledging, yes, black lives do matter. We're not talking about an organization here. We're talking about a biblical principle through the image of God. Like this is clear, yeah. drop our pride. And then how we navigate making that happen in our society is where we, we, we come to the table humbly saying, let's share our ideas. No one has the perfect solution because if we did, hopefully we would have solved it already. This is a hard topic, it's nuanced, it's detailed. And that's where when we come together, when the pride is out there, the arguments stop and we start saying, wow, that's a great idea. I never thought of it that way. Oh, hey, what if we tweak this and adjust this? You know, and sometimes we don't get to get be at that table, but like at least as Christ followers, we can come together and have these conversations without the divide growing even further. What I've seen in our culture and even in our churches, when people come to have the conversation, pride is present, which creates a huger divide. Like we tried that truth. Well, you, you need to do it the biblical way. Lose your pride, come humbly in love. And I bet you the conversation will look completely different. Yeah. And it's so hard because obviously there are folks who have lived in this space for their whole lives, or they've been activists in our community for a long time. And so it can feel like if we're just now coming to the table with like, Hey guys, let's try to come together and have a conversation that can feel pat. It can feel naive, like a trite answer of like, no, we've been in the trenches. It's time to move beyond just, you know, bringing ideas to the table. And I get that. And I'm sympathetic to that mentality, but also understanding that like, yeah, that might be true that your church is ready to take steps, 
because you've been in this world of activism or seeking justice in our community in a way, you know, for generations or, you know, decades, but man, if our church hasn't been as active in that, well, then we've got a process of development and I'm hoping for grace that our church can begin that process. Occasionally I've even had people who say like, Hey, I, I saw this church did this. We should totally do it. And I'm all for brainstorming other churches ideas. We take ideas from other churches all the time. We're totally for that. But I, one thing I've been trying to do is don't, don't, um, just compare our church to other churches and how they're doing in this particular area. Let's compare our church against itself over time. And if what we see is progress, then that should be encouraging. Now, man, maybe our rate of change needs to increase or some people I'm sure think it needs to decrease or whatever. But like the point is if you compare our church against itself, we'll see that God is at work here and that discipleship is happening, not just individual discipleship, which is key, but collective discipleship, our church leadership and our direction, I believe is becoming more and more pleasing to God as we sort through these things. And, um, I know we've had a number of people on our staff, um, at meetings of local leaders and spiritual, um, you know, uh, I don't know, spiritual leaders, I don't know how else to say it, spiritual leaders and pastors in our community. I just yesterday had a very inspiring conversation with a, with a local pastor who's saying like, you know, he, he creates, he's a black pastor who creates conversations with, um, with police leaders been doing that for a long time. And man, with all this blowing up, most of his, the people that he does this with are saying, Hey, look, we're done. We're done with this conversation. And he's saying, no, we're not, man. We're Christians. We're different. We lean in when things get hard, we show grace and forgiveness. And I think that's just so inspiring to know that there are plenty of pastors and leaders in our community, Christians, not, I'm not talking about the secular organizations with which we don't agree. I'm talking about Christians in the trenches of this fight building bridges, creating understanding, showing love, lament, and listening. They've already forged a path for us. Northridge needs to get in sync with those churches and begin to follow in their footsteps. And again, not to radicalize, whatever that means, but to better display the impact of the gospel in our city. Yeah. And I think what inspires me the most is two things. One, when I was, pre when I was preparing this message, looking at how Jesus did this, like there is an example in scripture of this actually taking place. I talked about it Sunday. It's just seeing God taking radical people, fishermen and tax collectors, and, and they came together. So like, I'm not questioning, is this possible? I know it is. I've watched my God do it. That inspires me. And two, what really, what really excited me is I talked to multiple, multiple people on Sunday that just said, Drew, I got to be better. Drew, mm -hmm. I got, I got to shift a little bit. And that is what I believe God softening hearts and I think when hearts are soft, God can do the work that he needs to do in all of us to bring us together. And that pumps me up and excites me because I've been through the process where God has softened my heart. And it was the best thing for me. Yeah, absolutely agree. And uh, I, we want to, of course, as a church, be expressing sympathy and uh, hurt. We're hurting with the family of Daniel Prude, you know. The loss of a family member is always incredibly hard, uh, no matter the circumstances and these circumstances, especially tragic and um, especially having to wait to know anything and all of the hurt, like we're stepping, I want to be at, when we are as a church, stepping into the lament of saying like, man, how hard would that be to lose a family member that way, to not be able to talk about it. There's so many difficulties there. And we're saying, man, we hate that. We, we are so sorry for that family and, and wanting to see our world and our society function differently. Uh, also recognizing that we, God has established certain structures, whether it's the family or the church or the government, and he's established those structures and we need to operate within them. And we're going to 
use our rights, but we're also going to stay, you know, obey. And I don't know, it's just so much tension, but as a church, we just are, are trying to step into that space as well as we possibly can and recognizing that everyone's in a different place. And as our hearts are softened and willing to listen and lament, we will demonstrate love better. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well said. So, um, man, Labor Day weekend, (laughs) not the Labor Day weekend that anybody was picturing, um, for our community, for our local leadership. I mean, nothing about this weekend has been what anybody expected, but, um, I believe that we can have hope and we can have hope in Jesus Christ that he's not done changing lives in our community and that we're grateful to be able to be a part of it. Um, is there anything else from this weekend that you want to talk about before I give you a chance to talk about what's coming uh, with grand reopening? No, I mean, I, I, I was proud of our church Sunday. We, we talked about hard stuff and I think we, we did it in a biblical way and I'm praying God continues to move our hearts and continues to use his gospel, which is the active change agent. And so, yeah, I'm, we're going to continue to chase and preach the gospel and we're going to watch it change lives one at a time and celebrate along the way. Beautiful. So what's coming this weekend? What's, what's, uh, September 13th look like? Yeah. A couple of things to, to, to know one, three services is coming. So 8 AM nine, wait, yeah. 8 AM <laughs> nine thirty, and 11. I wanted to make sure I got this right. Like we've had so many different times and, uh, so it's 8 AM nine thirty. And 11. I was no. not going to help you because I'm like, I'm, I'm going to get it wrong if I step in here. So. Also our grand opening um, of our Webster campus, you know, man, we've had some soft launches up to this point. have gone well. It's going to be a great day. We're going to honor some people who really made that Webster facility uh, just what it is. And it's a lot of, a lot of hands, a lot of work went into it. And so we're going to celebrate that and all God's going to do and use that facility for. So, um, we're pumped about that fall kickoff. We're going to have some food trucks. I mean, after every service, we're going to have coffee and brunch. And so it's going to be an awesome celebration. Listen, if you're listening to this, here's what I'd ask of you. If you feel like sacrificing, come to the 8am service, honestly, you'll be the first person to get food trucks come to the 8 a.m. service. It will be huge. We're hitting overflow at, at those two services. I think a lot of people are going to be coming back this weekend. And so if you are listening, you're a core member, if you're a guest, you come to whatever service. A friend, you come to whatever service you want to. But if you're coming and you can come to that 8 a.m. service, I will see you. I will smile at you, whether you're at Webster or or the other campus, I'll give you a wink or something. I don't know, but yeah, <laughs> I love it. I love that you just encourage guests because if we've got any guests listening to this podcast, that is straight up impressive that they have found this podcast before ever getting to a church. That is a miracle. Uh, the Lord is alive if they have found this podcast, but well, he already is, by the way, that was heresy, but uh, yeah. So three services this weekend, we're kicking off a new series called A Tale of Two Brothers. We're walking through the story of what has historically been called the story of the prodigal son in Luke 15, but we're going to find out that there might be more to that story than you've heard before. And so I'm, I'm really looking forward to that. And I, I also want to shout out NYM's kicking off um, as well with their fall launch. That's going to be an exciting thing. And they've just been amazing over the summer getting students connected. And I'm so proud of that team. And I know you are too, Drew. And also an avid podcast listener, as we shut this down, I have to shout out is our friend, Devin Graff. Devin has been an avid podcast listener from day one. He's a member of our staff, worked at the Greece campus and with NYM. And tonight is his last night of NYM programming. He and his wife, Molly moved to Florida. We're going to miss them. We love you, Dev. 
thanks for listening. Thanks for all your feedback that has made the podcast better and for being such a good friend and ministry partner for us for years here at Northridge. So we love you. Thanks everyone for listening and we will see you this weekend, all of our guests at 8 a.m. See you guys.